Sunset Lake CBD is a majority employee-owned hemp farm located right outside of Burlington, Vermont. Before they started growing hemp, Sunset Lake Farms produced cream for Ben & Jerry's. Sunset Lake CBD doesn't use any pesticides or herbicides to grow any of its hemp plants, and they use organic fertilizer and other sustainable farming techniques to ensure the long-term health of the soil and to minimize their carbon footprint. So like all of us, my days are really stressful. By the end of the night, my kids are in bed, I'm taking a minute to chill, but I'm still unwinding. I recently started using the Relax Gummies infused with CBD isolate, reishi mushroom extract, and ashwagandha root extract. I'm really glad I tried these because they really helped me get ready for a good night of sleep, and I really think I sleep better, so I'd highly recommend it. So check out Sunset Lake CBD today at sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. That's sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. Farmer-owned, Vermont-grown, Sunset Lake CBD. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey listeners, I want to tell you about a sponsor, Music Masters Collective. They're a nonprofit organization that produces unique music events, providing opportunities for fans and artists to meet and collaborate in an inspired and creative atmosphere. Every week they host different events, all with the opportunity to learn from world-class musicians like O'Teal Burbridge, Trouble No More, former members of the band, Milk Carton Kids, Nikki Glaspie, Bill Frizzell, Sean Colvin, and many more. This June, Join the Fab Foe, Joan Osborne, John Sebastian, Marshall Crenshaw, and a great group of faculty for the debut of Magical Mystery Camp. This all-inclusive, once-in-a-lifetime music vacation experience in the heart of the Catskills will be packed with nightly performances, workshops, speakers, song circles, open mics, and a lot more. If you're a performing musician at any level, bring your instrument. If you're a music lover, bring your good spirit. It's an amazing experience for individuals, friends, and couples alike. Registration is open, spots are filling up, so check it out soon. And scholarships are available. Check out magicalmysterycamp.com slash helpingfriendly to learn more. This is the Helping Friendly Podcast. We are back again. My name's RJ. I'm here with Jonathan. Howdy. Hi, Jonathan. How's it going? And I'm I'm good. And I'm I'm also here with Brian, who I assume is also good. I'm doing good. How are you? <laughs> I'm fine. I'm just fine. I'm great. Um, <laughs> so these are the days between. I mean, not in the traditional sense that that jo- Jonathan may be offended by, but in in the. <laughs> The days between fish tours. Um, so we're gonna we we've talked a lot about the summer 2021 tour, and we were chatting before this, and we were like, you know, we've talked about these shows a lot. I mean, I, I would I think I would just I don't know about you guys, but I would just keep saying how awesome they are if we keep talking about them. But um, would you guys do the same? I might. I mean, we could possibly have prepared and 
talked about Trey Tour, which is happening right now. But um, That's I'm, true. I'm seeing him on Wednesday of this week. So I'm honestly, I'm, I'm, go- I'm going in cold. I'm not, I haven't listened to any of the shows yet. I'm just excited to go in and uh, have a good time with that. So yeah, as for summer, I, I mean, I, I need a little more time to come up with like, you know, the, the, the overarching kind of insights yeah. that uh, I would love to be able to provide on a uh, fish podcast. Right. Yeah, I did a big I did a big re-listen to I, I make like just a my favorite performances throughout a tour. I just kind of plug them into a larger playlist. And uh my wonderful co-host here, Jonathan, called me out on Twitter for literally just doing that and just sharing like a two hundred <laughs> song playlist. So I listened back through it and I whittled it down to twenty-six core songs. And there are twenty-six amazing performances that we're gonna go through one by one starting right now. No. Um <laughs> all I will say is on re-listen, the tour holds up even stronger than I felt in the moment. It's really great to get a little bit of perspective and just hear how intentional the band was playing throughout the summer. And I will say, I don't typically listen to tab tours past 2003. And I have listened to quite a few of the shows that have been played thus far in tab tour. Trey's toys have come to tab tour and we are all the better for it. It's a ton of fun right now. Um, I, I just want to confess that I didn't even look at the playlist that you put together. I just blanketly <laughs> accused you of just putting everything into the playlist. It's good to know I was right. <laughs> I'm proud. I'm proud of both of you guys. Um, I get to see the Trey Band tomorrow, which I guess the day this comes out in in Philadelphia. So we're gonna next week. We'll talk about Tab Tour, Jonathan. How does that sound for an agreement? Sure. Sounds good. Cool. So, so we went, but we would decided to go back, and um, we were going to talk about a show that that Jonathan attended, and um, that that we all like. And I guess I don't know if we want to launch into it right now. I guess before we do that, I should remind everyone that we are brought to you by our friends at Shift Genuine Cannabis. Check out check out shiftcannabis.com. We have more stuff coming with them. There's going to be some a couple fall events. Um, probably san francisco and vegas some live stuff that's going to be happening so we all need to figure that out before we tell you about it but then once we figure it out we'll tell you um but um guys so we're talking about the year 2000 um i i was realizing when i went back to this show and jonathan can tell us about the show but i think this is my least listened to year of fish um i think that's partially because there weren't as many shows like number wise but also like I don't know why. It just like it might have been the time of my life. I don't think I saw any shows in 2000, and there, there's a lot there that I think I don't really understand yet. Um, Jonathan, can you tell us what show we're talking about and, and how you feel about 2000 as a in terms of looking back and and your interpretation of that year? Uh, I mean, we've we've hashed over a lot of uh, the year 2000 on Helping Friendly podcast in the past, uh, so I won't go too deep on the whole what this year means, but we are talking about September 17th, 2000 at Meriwether Post Pavilion, which, as you mentioned, I was at. Uh, it's one of only two shows I saw that year. Um, I'm glad I got to see this one because, of course, as we all know, this was, you know, right, really the run-up to the hiatus. I almost said the end, but it wasn't the end. It wasn't announced as the end, but it was a hiatus, and we knew things were well, going to stop. Um, and I don't actually remember if we knew at this date. Did we know? I don't, I don't, 
I don't know. But um, but it was a fun show. It was a cool night out. I remember buying a long sleeve T-shirt at that show because I was freaking cold, which is great. Um, I love that outdoor shows in the fall. And uh, it's a great show. I think one of the things about 2000, and maybe this is a factor, RJ, and you're listening, is that we don't have a lot of official releases from this year. We have a couple really good ones, um, but we do not have that many. And I think that this this show would be a good candidate. Um, I, there are probably quite a few others that the uh, audience out there would immediately jump to nominating. Um, but we could stand to have a few more. Brian, what's your uh, view of these this this show in this era? Well, I want to just acknowledge before we get into it that last year, close listeners of HF Pod, of Undermine, of our larger fish universe here at Osiris Media, will know that three podcasts converged to discuss Fall 2000 in October of 2020 on the 20th anniversary, uh, which was great. It was awesome. I listened back to a ton of Fall 2000, which to RJ's point earlier, I ha- I wasn't really familiar with. I knew the big shows. I'd listened to like 10, Sen- 10 7 2000 was one of my first tapes that I ever received just because of like the historical aspect of it. But I'd never done show by show by show. And I did that last year and I found a lot of really cool surprises. I was familiar with this show, but hearing it in the larger arc of the tour, you really hear that at this point in the tour, the band was at a really like a real high point. They, they had the Great Wood shows, um, following up with Darian and Hershey, which are, I would say, the two best shows of the overall tour. And then this show here at Merriweather, which is right up there with those. Um, I also found myself really surprised by uh, 925-2000 from Bonner Springs. I had never listened to that show, and it is just energy and really cool song selections and great jams throughout. And then 105-2000, the final stand before they moved to the final final stand at shoreline this was at uh the irving amphitheater i think it's now the verizon wireless amphitheater in irvine california really really cool show great jams in the second set and a really good flow overall to it um i think to your point like and i don't want to be blasphemous here so early in the episode as i'm i'm won't to from time to time do it but we've been listening to so much 2021 fish and there's so much creativity and so much communication within the jams and i found myself listening back and having to like restructure my mind to the fact that this is a band that deliberately put mike in the center of the stage because they wanted this sound to be very simple very rhythmically driven and early on when i was listening to this show i was like wow where are all the modulations where are all the you know creative passages that Trey and Paige provide it's a totally totally different band and i found myself initially being like man i love 2021 so much more but then i listened to the show a second time and i was like but this sound that fish tapped into right around the turn of the millennium is just such an interesting and unique sound to the band so i'm excited to get into this show okay so we need more releases that's that's the thing that we've learned. Um, and otherwise, there's good stuff. Okay, so guys, this this show to me, so man, the Gaiuti opener first of all is a is a is quite an ambitious way to start a concert. And like the first thing I was thinking when I was when I started this listening to this show was like this doesn't seem like a sh- band that needs or wants to take a break, <laughs> right? And I guess that's like 
I kind of forget. I mean, we learned through Alive Again, you know, Trey's perspective on some of this, although that was that was much more about like 04 than, you know, 02 to 04 than it was about about 2000. But, um, you know, for a band that's like that's playing so well and, and I think having so much fun, um, I guess that just still is confounding to me. Am I missing am I missing like a, something very simple? Because I kind of forget now. I'm like, wait, why did they why did they stop playing? Because they were kicking ass. Well, it was quite different than four years later, first of all. And we don't have to go into all the reasons. Yeah. We all know these things. But they were they were still playing really well. I mean, they felt like they had peaked at Big Cypress and maybe were gliding on that uh, momentum, uh, at least in their own minds. Musically, though, they're not resting. They're not slacking. They're um, still able to just go out there and produce. And this show really, I think, is a good indicator of that. They come out with Gaiuti and it's just straight up rock fire. You know, this is this is intense prog action just right out of the gate. And, um, you know, Gaiuti is one of those songs. I saw the second Gaiuti. It's one of those songs that goes right back to where I begin with Fish. And it's, this is so good. The tension uh, on the that last build and, it's great. It's, I love it. Yeah, I think one thing when I think about the like the fact that the band felt in some ways like they were still at a high. Why would they break up? I think coming off of Big Cypress, you think four years earlier they came off of December thirty first, nineteen ninety five, and they had to go through this basically year process of totally reinventing themselves before they came out with a another peak sound in 1997. And I've got to imagine after they played Big Cypress, there was something so daunting about doing that reinvention process. And there's a lot about the 2000s sound to fish that sounds very similar to late 1999. And it kind of sounds like a band that just knew we need to do something different, but do we have it in us? And are there other things that we want to do? Um, which is why you get these really great shows towards the tail end of their career. But um, one thing I will note, we'll get into this later here in the, in the set, but there's three major compositions in this first set alone. Like you talk about a band that seems like they don't want to take a break. Like they're attempting three of their more complicated songs in a 90 minute stand while also, and we'll get into it, playing jams that just sound in line with the absolute best of the era. So it's, it's a really interesting choice for the opener, especially coming off of like where they're at at this point in time. So we jump there into the second slot is one of the best Chugal songs that Fish has ever written, Back on the Train, which I always forget when I listen to these late 1.0 versions. It's so chill, and it kind of ends on the fade out. It doesn't build up to the big rocking solo that we would get in 3.0. I'm curious, like, at this time... What were, what were your guys' impressions? You guys were seeing Fish at this point. I was not yet. What were your impressions of a song like Back on the Train in 2000 versus where it is now? You know, it's a farmhouse tune, right? So, which was, you know, the album of the t- of the day. And they start, and, and I guess first heard Trey do this in 99. Um, so they, they start playing. There's actually the one nice thing about the listening to audience tapes here. You can hear a huge response from the audience when they oh, yeah. start playing it. Um, but yeah. what I noticed was Trey leaning into that like country funk kind of, you know, you hear little train sound and his guitar licks and stuff, which he doesn't really dwell on these days. And 
It was, mm-hmm. yeah, it was a very different sound. It really, I dug it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was fun. I think, it, yeah, new song, which is sort of surprising, but yeah. Um, I, I think to me this, so this set has like five, 10 minute plus songs in it, which I think is probably, you know, not that un- uncommon for, for late 1.0, 99, 2000. But, um, like this song, I mean, this is like, you know, I guess it's probably seven minutes or so, but it does feel like pretty, they're not in a hurry to, to get on to the next song, you know? Um, and it's, it's fun. I guess there's, I don't know. I don't really, I never really got this song to be honest. I mean, it's always fun, <laughs> but it's like, you know, it's a, it's, it's a great, it's great live for sure. It's a good dancer. Well, yeah. When you listen back to it, you're like, okay, that's fine. But it's great. It's so fun live, especially when they were really taking it seriously with regard to the train, the train <laughs> movements. Um, but that, the bathtub gin that comes next is like a, I mean, almost 20 minutes. And that is, that's sort of like the, the highlight of the millennial sound as, as coined by Mr. Minor back in the day, right? That's like the, it's got this like, I mean, I don't know. It all feels very, very laid back, but also just, they're just in outer space, like very quickly. Yeah. I was listening to this and I was, I was talking to Jonathan before we started recording, like there's such a similarity to me with this version from a hose factor and from like a building intensity to 628 2000. But the biggest difference is that version, like Fishman hits a drum fill and they just go into like hyperdrive uh, in June 2000. And it's like incredibly fast. It's just relentless. This is somehow so intense. And like, it's just Trey just like throwing out, you know, line after line after line that's just like being eaten up by the crowd. But it's so chill. I have no idea how you play this intensely while also just like, it feels like they're just like sitting back and just letting the music take them. It's, it's unbelievable performance. I mean, I can't really add too much to that. I mean, this this is a great, like, grooved out gin um, that I, I was listening to it in the car yesterday, and it gave me a nice floaty sensation. And uh, and I that's it. I love that. So <laughs> that, it, this, is, this is just an out, and it just kind of goes. It doesn't modulate as you were saying earlier there's not a lot of that happening here it just kind of gets into the space and kind of hangs there and um just long enough you could possibly forget that we're listening to bathtub gin and then they bring it back and actually close out the song uh nicely and i i perfect perfect outstanding first set groove yeah, great mid first set jam. And then we get into uh, a couple songs that for me, like they fit really well here in the first set vibe, like kind of the late summer, early fall. You mentioned you put on a long sleeve shirt, like mid September in Maryland is one of my favorite times of year in, in that part of the country. It's just like summer just like ends, but the weather is still perfect. I absolutely love it. And limb by limb, MoMA and Lawn Boy, 
all just complement it really nicely. There's good grooves in there. You've got two Story of the Ghost songs back to back, two of my favorites, Limb by Limb. I will hear it every show and be happy. Do you guys have any specific thoughts about these, this uh, kind of trio of songs midway through the set? I enjoy them. Uh, I, I listen to the MoMA a few times because it is a good kind of, again, another good first set groove. Doesn't really get out and get too weird or anything like that. But I, I want to hear RJ's uh, limb by limb rating for this. <laughs> I mean, it, you know, this is a great, it's a great first set. There's, there's the, the limb by limb, um, you know, again, pushing 10 minutes of just like, yeah, laid back exploration. Um, I think, you know, the set is fine. I mean, I, I think the, the curtain with, you know, I know that Jonathan, this was your first, First and only curtain with uh, yeah yeah you're getting ahead of us though but yeah yeah I know but that's that's the highlight of the of the rest of the set to me it's like bookended by the the bathtub gin and the curtain with well but the fluffhead was let's just let us not leave aside this big fluffhead like and I say big because any fluffhead is kind of big it's not a short tune and this one was well delivered it yeah was well received it's freaking great and the set could have just ended there and been perfect. Would nobody would have complained? Yeah, um, I I wouldn't have then. I wouldn't now. And yeah, let's go ahead. We'll go there. The curtain. So they they play the curtain with. They they start playing the curtain. They busted out the with for the first time. And I don't remember off the top of my head, but quite a few years uh, that summer at Deer Creek. And curtain with is already one of my favorite songs. The idea that it was back on the table was. I don't want to say I was obsessed with the notion, but it was in my head. And they start playing the curtain. I was like, oh, my God, please, please. This is like me right up until Big Cypress praying for hydrogen to come out of Mike's song every time I see Mike's song because they wouldn't do it for me until then. And and so here we are. They're playing the curtain. And I'm just I'm trying to enjoy the moment, but also just like, please, please go there. And then they did. They did. They did. It was so great. I was just, I was ecstatic. And somehow, for some reason that we cannot quite explain, they've never played that for me since. What's up, Fish? That's crazy. That's crazy. I just want to acknowledge the significance, and it didn't hit me until this time that I listened to it. They play Fluffhead and then the Curtain With. Curtain With, to your point, was a huge bust out at that point. Uh, It had been played at Deer Creek for the first time in 1178 shows which I think is like the third or fourth biggest bust out that we've ever gotten from them. The first time since Telluride in 88. Um, But we're two and a half, three weeks out from the end of fish 1.0. Nobody can foresee what the next nine, 10 years are going to be for fish, but we hear Fluffhead and then we hear the curtain with the curtain with will famously close out fish's career at Coventry on August 15th, 2004. And then five years later, they will come back with Fluffhead. Like if you put yourself back in the shoes of just like a fish fan going to shows, knowing, oh yeah, there's going to be a break coming up and hearing Fluffhead followed by the curtain with, 
like just in hindsight, it's such a significant moment. And it kind of, you know, for me, nobody could have predicted any of this. And there's no way the band is like thinking about this in the moment. Um, but like, for me, it's just, it's one of those little nuggets within fish history where you just hear these two songs that over the next 10, 15 years are going to have such significance for the band, for their fans. And they're right next to each other. And they have it at this point. I mean, these are old school fish songs, you know, I, I, I knew it then in a different way that I know it now, but I knew it then, you know, Curtainwood had been played once since 1988. Once. That's crazy. And yeah, you imagine how many fish fans like had gotten into fish in the previous five or six years when they ballooned in the nineties right? and knew of the curtain as a seven minute song that di- directly leads into a jam, you know, another song type of thing. But here it's got this other section tack- tacked on. I wonder how many people had no idea what they were listening to at that moment. I mean, I had a 91 tape with this 1988 fish filler that had a curtain with on it and it was not even labeled correctly, so I had no idea where it was from. I don't remember now where it was from, but I listened to that filler so much, so much. And um, so this was, yeah, this was kind of a big deal for me. And then, oh, yeah, they played the Chalk Dust Torture. That was cool. <laughs> they didn't want to stop playing that set. Um, no. The the curtain with, I noticed the tray using the Leslie, which I thought was notable for some reason, um, but maybe he was using it a lot in 2000. I think so. I think it was not uncommon. It certainly yeah. sounded good here. It does. Before we talk about set two, let's hear a brief word from our friends at Shift Genuine Cannabis. What is a city without its music? The legacy of the New York Philharmonic is incredible. Nearly two centuries of history. That's a lot of music and a lot of stories. I was sitting on stage for the very first time thinking, I can't quite believe this is happening. Join me, Jamie Bernstein, as we explore the history of the New York Philharmonic. It's the NY Phil story made in New York, a podcast about a city, its people, and their orchestra. Listen wherever you get podcasts. Jonathan, you got a five-song second set. Um, how was that experience for you 21 years later? It's all right. <laughs> uh, That's the end of the yeah, show. All right, Thanks, thank you. everybody. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, it was, it was good. And you never know. When you're in a, a show like this, five songs, six songs, eight songs, yes, you if you're writing your set list, and I do probably have the little spiral-bound notebook somewhere, um, you know by the time you get to the end or whatever unless you're the timer and you realize oh a curfew but in the moment it was just kind of happening right so yeah rock and roll opens good time woo rock and roll love it always fun it wasn't like you know in 2.0 where rock and roll second set openers became you know i don't want to say common but they were common um and they happened a lot then here it was like all right cool we're getting this is great and and then it just kept going and the jam in this is just 
I love it. It's really good. It does modulate. It changes a bit. It gets down into some really cool spots. And then to my, my mind and ear, it really does kind of roll right into theme, which is, it, it's, I, I, I'm out of words. Uh, Brian, what do you got? Well, I think the rock and roll is interesting because you hear kind of what I was talking about at the top of the of the episode, um, like a jamming style that was very familiar for Fish in the later part of 1.0 and I would say even into early 3.0 when you heard Fish utilizing rock and roll as a, as a second set opener where you would get kind of the song proper solo through eight or nine minutes and then they would transition into kind of an ambient fade out section and the the whatever you kind of judged a song, you know, version on was based on how quality that ambient section is. Um, whereas now you kind of move directly from the song into some form of a modulate modulated jamming section. I loved the ambient section of this. This is a period in Fish's history where like they could play almost no notes and it was just fascinating. Like 98, 99, 2000, when they just get into that silent type of jamming, I'm here for all of it. And I was absolutely in love with this version. that I have like you know it's or I was listening on re-listen it's one of those great tapes where like you can hear the room you can hear the audience and like the band sounds slightly distant and I'm just I I love that type of sound to listen to to fish shows like give me soundboards for you know the the best shows but like I will I prefer to listen to most shows in this sort of format because it just works really well with this type of jamming and I don't know of a better landing pad at that point that they would play regularly other than, you know, maybe they could have gone into like, Oh, what's the use? But the theme, like when Fishman comes in with the, with the hi hat, it just, it's a perfect little segue. What do you think RJ? Yeah. I mean the whole, the whole second set is kind of one long jam, you know, yeah. in a way, which is, which is pretty cool. And I don't want to get ahead of us ourselves, but I, I think the mango song, I mean that there, there are parts of this, that this show that are more well known than others because I think they've been highlighted in, in other places, right? But that that mango song sort of whole dog log mango song into free thing kind of reminded me of the of the last night at Dick's, like where there was just like this sound. It was just sort of like a consistent sound, you know? Yeah. And it wasn't really like about the song. It was just like they were just in this in this sound and no matter what they played they kind of just like went back into that that sound which is a pretty cool thing maybe do you guys think that happened a lot in 2000 or, or does this does this show stick out i i don't and i i think you know to jonathan's point earlier that like you're not really aware you're getting a five song fluid second set until you look back and you listen to it this is one of those shows for me that I didn't discover until well after the fact. And I, I think I heard it for the first time at some point in like mid 2003, 2004, when I was really collecting a lot of early fish tapes. And, you know, this is a set that, to your point, they're returning to a sound. It feels really fluid. It feels really thematic. It feels like when they ended free, that's it. There's no need for another ballad thrown in. There's no need for a Golgi apparatus. There's, this is it. This is the statement that we've made. And 
those types of sets you just press play on and you you walk away and listen to and that's it what do you think john yeah i mean they they land just beautifully into that as you said you know the ambient the quiet space and then theme comes out of that theme does it bubbles beautifully into its final roar and then then uh and it the jam proceeds from that and mike really seems to be the guy who says we're playing dog log now and you can hear it in the bass uh and that the audience eats it up i know we did and it's just it's so it's beautiful like it's really just a great transition that is uh one of the great transitions that they've done just to move into that so fluidly um and and dog log is i guess you could argue it's just dog log but it's a great version of that song it's not it wasn't common i think it's less common now actually but um so we were very excited for that and and i will just because rj's already crack this nut i would just say then they they pull out the mango song like what because <laughs> well, I... mango was, is not you know again it's also not something they were playing every night right by by a, i don't know a fair sight they maybe played it six times in 2000 which actually seems like a lot now that i say it out loud but um yeah so god this this show is so fun uh, I don't, I I don't think that it's overlooked, uh, but people, if you haven't checked it out in a while, I hope they will because man, it's just so good. It's just riches, just a wealth of just great stuff. Well, I just want to say that I think this this is like a part of this exploration of this tour, which which again we did go through October particularly, but last year. But um, there's some ups and downs, you know, like the. And you caught like a pretty high note in terms of like the energy and the improv and just it seems like they were into it. You know, the, the show from the next night at Blossom, which is a four song second set, which were, you know, common. But that was like in the middle of like an amazing Haley's jam. Trey just like walked off the stage. So clearly there were some like weird vibes during this tour. Right. Of course, because they like were breaking up. But it's like going on a date with someone after you told them you're breaking up with them like that's like kind of it's gonna be a little weird it's like breaking up with him while you're waiting for the appetizer and then sticking around all the way through dessert you know? like, <laughs> right exactly oh, so so these the ups and downs and i know brian you've 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 listened to and suggested a bunch of stuff from this tour um for me because I'm, I'm going back to it but there there i guess the theme is like there were a lot of ups and downs and and this was like a really really solid show and they've always played great shows at Meriwether and um it seems like a pretty pretty traditionally like kind of amazing you know venue for for fish um and I'm, I'm just glad that you got to see it yeah and and I don't want to sleep on the transition into free because they finished mango and they just like now for some ripping guitar rock and mm-hmm. I spell that with r-a-w-k that's that's rock <laughs> and um and they, it just it's so good and a nice kind of a light but fun encore contact and rocky top you know a lot of people hate on rocky top but i think they play it when they're having a good time um yeah it's just it's just fun and uh and contact they don't play unless they're feeling it i think so um yeah just really it is one of the high points tour got a little dark and weird later on 
I, I think that while I would have liked to have seen more of the shows from this tour, I'm glad this is the one I got. Yeah. One thing I want to highlight quickly, just jumping back in time, is um, you know the dog log. I think one thing that we we all we love to get into that makes Fish so unique is this feels like a serious set of music. This feels like the guys were completely locked in musically and yet they throw in a song about stepping in dog shit midway through, which is like the most fish thing to do in a very serious second set. But, um, I was looking just at the stats quickly. This is the fifth dog log that's been played since 95. The last, like if you, if you take it from the dog log show of 12, 11, 95, they played it once in 97, twice in 98, once in 99. And then here, since then, they played it at It, and then they played it on June 20th, 2012 in Portsmouth, Virginia, and they haven't played it since. Um, I think we're ripe for a dog log bust out. Um, I, I would love to have that happen. But yeah, if you move through the second set, it's Mango is one of those songs that has occasionally jammed and somehow finds its way into these jams. You can listen to the Alpine 99 version that goes into uh, the Happy Whip and Dung song. Uh which is another, yeah. bizarre, I think that's the only version of that, that sick at disc song that had ever been played. But, um, you know, Mango figures out its way of being in the right place at the right time in a set. And it's kind of like half of a cool down, half of a build up towards the end. It's always slightly rare. So everyone's really excited to hear it. has the vibe of this set where you've you're just like floating and then there's that ripping guitar solo at the end that ends it properly and it's just a great set it's like i said my my favorite sets you press play and you have no desire to skip anything absolutely it's got um what's the flow is the word that's it it's got it flow it's got it I've heard from one of our one of our listeners that, that there's no points for flow, which um, I was surprised to hear recently. If you're listening, and you know who you are, I strongly disagree. Um, but we'll, we'll strongly very disagree. strongly. I know, I know, I agree. You got to see. I want to see the the you know. I want to see the point rating schemes. But um, I know we're near the end. For now, but should we'll we just, just like, listen to the show? Should we just dive into a conversation about flow right now? Is that what? <laughs> like. <laughs> That would interrupt the flow. Yeah. No, I mean, (laughs) look, flow isn't everything. It's not the only thing. There's obviously lots of factors that make up a good set or a show or a tour or what have you. But flow can make up for or even justify song selections that you might not choose to go for just cold. Like you might not choose to pick that song if you're just putting on one but sometimes it's right that's flow i i I don't i don't i don't know how you can disregard it as a important factor in what elevates a set i don't want to break the flow but yes that is it you said it (laughs) and now i'm walking off the i'm walking off the set of this podcast 
But, but wait. This is our fault. We weren't going to end here. We've got at least another one written down on the paper. See? Yeah, we do. We do. Um, this is, thanks for, for bringing this up. This is a good one to go back to. I think this is a... I would prefer to listen to 2000 over 2.0, most, or at least over 2004. Um, 2003 is different, I think. But um, in terms of la- like this sound... There's a lot of good stuff in this tour, so I'm I'm gonna keep going back to to fall 2000. Well, it's not like we can do a 20 years later look back right now, so. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, any final words, guys, before we before we wrap it up? Flow, flow. <laughs> All right, <laughs> thanks thanks for listening. We're gonna be back next week with some more flow. Uh, we'll <laughs> see you guys soon. Thanks. Uh, Thanks for tuning in. Thanks. Thank you. Hey everyone, this is Tuck from Fit for a King, an off-road minivan. Every week I bring you fun interviews alongside your favorite metalcore entertainers with my new podcast, Get Tucked. Join me every Monday with bands like Counterparts, Crystal Lake, like Moths to Flames, and many more. We play unsigned and undiscovered bands, deep dive into each artist's history, and of course provide the greatest breakdowns in current metalcore. Tune in to Get Tucked every Monday, out now through Sound Talent Media. Bowie, Dylan, Marley. You've heard the names and maybe you've heard their songs, but what about the stories behind the records that made titans of music like these so universally loved and important? Join me, Josh Adam Myers, host of The 500, as each week I go through a different album from Rolling Stone Magazine's 500 Greatest Albums list from 2012 with an incredible lineup of comedians, actors, and musicians talking about how the music has impacted their lives. New episodes of The 500 come out every Wednesday. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts.